Welcome to Shi'ar Jeshub, coming from Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut. I'm Patty Scalzo, and I hope you join us as my husband, Pastor Greg Scalzo, continues the sermon from 1 Samuel as part of the series on Heavenly Authority. When we left off, Pastor was at the end of chapter 14 and had just read about King Saul's victories against Israel's enemies on every side. So now let's rejoin Pastor Greg. And then we have the names in verse 50 of Saul's wife, Ahinoam, and his commander Abner, who were told the commander of his army was the son of Nea, Saul's uncle. So Abner is Saul's cousin. It says Kish was the father of Saul and Nea the father of Abner, and they're both the son of Abiel. Now there was fierce war in verse 52 with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. And that is in agreement with what Samuel prophesied back in chapter 8 and verse 11 when he warned about the kingship. Um, he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. And he talks about how the kings take the best for themselves. And here, anytime Saul saw some young man that was brave or strong, grabs him right away and puts him in the army or the protection around himself. And that freedom that they had in the book of Judges, you see, going away as this government comes in. It means a relaxing of freedom because the people could not govern themselves on their own. They were chaotic. They were immoral. And so now God has given them the king they asked for. It's interesting with Saul, we read here after having studied last time about uh, his great sin and the calling down of oaths upon his line and foolishness and trying to add to the work of God by his flesh that we read here that he has victories and he actually extends the kingdom and you say why and there's confusion over this confusion can sometimes come in when we see a person that's called by God to a task and he's anointed to that task and then he begins on a road of disobedience and pride. And we can remember ministries like this from the recent past. And yet, there's still a residue of success. God is angry with them. And we read about the statements. We read in chapter 13 and verse 13 where Samuel tells Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded you, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And that was in the case of the unlawful sacrifice at Gilgal. So, God is not pleased with Saul. He's angry at Saul. He's not going to establish Saul's kingdom. And yet, he gives Saul victories. Why? Well, when God calls someone to a ministry or a task, 
It's for the sake of the people. For the sake of the Israelites, there's a residual to the anointing. For the sake of the Israelites, success comes even after Saul is on a road of disobedience. Now, it's not going to last forever, and there certainly will see a point where God says, enough. But we should never confuse success in ministry with thinking that everything is perfect with the vessel. Because God will use vessels that are imperfect. God will use Saul here to increase the kingdom, even after he's very displeased with Saul, still there is a residual of anointing. So when you see a success, sometimes it is because of a faithful servant, a faithful servant that is doing God's will. Sometimes it's a residual blessing from days from when the vessel did do what was right, even though the person like Saul has gone on a bad path and God is still keeping his promises. And sometimes it's simply for the sake of the people. God knows the person that's doing the work that's in authority is terribly flawed, and that person is going to have a lot to answer for, like Saul. But still, for the sake of the people, for the sake of Israel, for the sake of the church, God will allow it for the time because that person might have the finances or whatever tools God has given them before, and the Lord will still use them for his purpose of reaching people, of going forth and bringing people into the kingdom, even though that minister or that servant might be on a very dangerous path himself. How important Saul is, we see, to understanding God's working in authority and with those in the places of leadership. So Saul has the success. We have the background on his family, on his commander. And then we come to chapter 15. And Saul's disobedience becomes very clear in the case of Agag. Agag, who is the king of the Amalekites. And this disobedience will result in the final dramatic rejection by the Lord of Saul as king and then the anointing of David in his place. In chapter 15, Samuel the prophet goes to Saul and reminds him that the Lord has anointed him king over God's people, Israel. So he reminds Saul, first off, where his authority comes from. God has anointed you, Saul, as a king over his people. The people belong to God. And that his authority comes from God. And you have to wonder, is Saul getting here perhaps a second chance? Because then he tells him to heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Listen to what God says. You know, we have to heed the word of God. I get very concerned when Christians don't read the Bible. Because what correction is there? If we don't read the scriptures, we start to form our own gospels. And we start to get our own ideas. And the only correction we have from the Lord that we know is canon are the scriptures. Heed the voice of the words of the Lord. And he tells Saul that God will finally punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. 
So the Amalekites have not changed their ways. We've seen that. And God will deal with them corporately as a people, a people identified by the name of their ancestor, Amalek. And Samuel tells Saul to go in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel and to strike Amalek and utterly destroy them, totally destroy them and even their possessions and their livestock. He says, don't take any plunder. Don't take any of their booty. Don't take any of their animals. Totally destroy. That's how severe the sin of the Amalekites is in God's sight and how God views troublemakers and spoilers of the good and murderers of the innocent. Utterly destroy them. And, and this command to Saul by Samuel is difficult for us as Christians to understand. And certainly the concept of people and things being literally put under the ban, which is the Hebrew, or devoted to destruction, which is discussed in the law, it would take hours. It would take literally hours to even begin to examine this aspect of the Old Testament. And it certainly is not the contract we are under in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, in Jesus Christ. We think of the account in Luke chapter 9, where we read in verse 51, Now it came to pass... When the time had come for him to be received up, that he, Jesus, steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messages before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Obviously, the Samaritans and the Jews in Jerusalem didn't get along together. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, remember John, who we know from the wonderful letters of love, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So in the New Covenant, there was no destruction. They were not even to pray for fire to come down and destroy those who were not receiving the gospel. The Spirit, he says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. The Spirit we are of under the New Covenant in Jesus Christ is the Spirit to save the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save. So this being devoted to destruction is certainly not part of the New Covenant. And we have said that what was physical to the Israelites has spiritual significance to us. What does it mean for us? Where to get the last vestige of Amalek out of us? as individuals. We're to conquer that sin nature in the flesh, that troublemaking nature in our own flesh that wars against what God is trying to do in our lives. We're to repent and crucify and kill off our old, old selves. We're supposed to die to the old man that we can have everlasting life. And we're to let nothing of the old troublemaker inside of us 
live. And we're to let that sharp sword of the Word of God, which we're told is living and active, come cut out from us all that stops us from laying hold of God, laying hold of the kingdom of God. Amalek inside of us must die. That's the significance to us. But as to our relationships to others, Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 7, with the woman that was caught in adultery, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he stooped down and he wrote in the ground. And you could ask the question, gee, what could he write about me in that ground that would make me drop the stone? And those who heard it being convicted by their conscience were told, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. He said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is the Gospel of Love. As always, we would greatly enjoy hearing from you. Our address is Shi'ar Jashub, P.O. Box 518, Branford, Connecticut, 06405. Our Sunday service is at the Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. Service is at 10 a.m. We pray the Lord Jesus blesses you as you grow in the knowledge of Him.